Hey there, this is Sean McMahon. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast and thanks for supporting the ministry by lending your ears, your minds, hearts, all that good stuff. Don't be afraid to share this here message with a friend or a family member, even a stranger. Have at. It's not like it's going to bite. These messages are recorded live at the Community Baptist Church of Gayhead and Aquina on Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, and the good old U.S. of A. If you're ever in town for a visit or suddenly find yourself shipwrecked on the southwest side of our lovely little island, climb up the clay cliffs and come on down to our little old chapel for our weekly 10 a.m. service. No need to wear anything special, just bring your special self. May God bless you. Scripture reading is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 17 to 18. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For I tell you truly, until heaven and earth pass away, not a single jot, not a stroke of a pen, will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, this sermon is not just a members-only message, right? Believers have read the Bible a lot, and they're familiar with this whole law versus grace argument, works versus grace, etc. And this could seem like a niche members-only message, but it's not, because non-believers all the time, when, they, when they're saying, why are you Christian? Do you follow this rule? I've read all this stuff in the Bible. You don't do any of that. So why should I get involved with that? Or, or, you know, I, I think that if I become Christian, I'm going to be subject to all these rules and you're going to make me a part of your cult. And I've heard about all these rules and I don't want a part of that. Um, this is why we're going to think today about the rule book. What is the Christian rule book? Okay, ready to dive in? Okay, so this is one of the oldest controversies in the history of the church. What exactly are the rules? What exactly are the rules? It's especially confusing in our days. So you got baptized, right? You're a member of a Protestant church. What are you going to do now? What next? How are you going to live it out? Where's the rule book? If you're Catholic, you get a catechism. It's pretty clear what the rules are. Uh, I'm pretty sure you don't eat meat on Fridays. Maybe that's an old thing, but my dad told me about it when he grew up in Ireland, right? Seems like you have a pretty clear-cut rule book. And if you're a monk or a nun, even clearer. You know, strict at that. But we don't really have one here. We don't talk about a rule book in our church, at least, right? We don't really have a rule book. We might not have a Christian rule book, but we definitely have the good book, right? We have the good book, the Bible. But even in the good book, there's not necessarily a Christian rule book, is there? Is there? We do have a rule book in the good book. What we have is a Jewish rule book. We have 613 commandments of Moses, the Levitical laws, right? Deuteronomy, Numbers, uh, Leviticus, and a little bit of history about how they came to be in the book of Exodus. Those books, where are they in the Bible? In the, beginning, in the first five. In the first five. Thank you. Very interesting, right? In the first five. But they're not the very first book of the Bible. They are preceded by another book, the book of Genesis. That's the story of the beginning. Why do the books of the law come after the story of the beginning? 
pretty logical answer. It's because the law came after the events of the beginning. It came after. The law wasn't there in the beginning. God didn't give the law in the Garden of Genesis. He gave the law many, many years later in the desert of Exodus. So this is an important clue for helping us understand the Christian rule book. St. Paul spends a long time in the book of Romans pointing out that before the law came, there were plenty of righteous people. Remember this? In the book of Genesis at that, Enoch pleased God. Noah was a man of righteousness in his generation. Blessed be the Lord God of Shem and may God make room for Japheth. Right? All of these men were righteous before God and yet they had no rule book. They came long before the law was given to Moses. Long before. The great men of old, as they're called, the great men of righteousness, were not righteous because they were obedient to a law. There was not yet any law. But they were like Abraham. In Genesis 15, 6, we read that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, right? Listen, Genesis, in the first book, this is the way it was before the law. But that doesn't mean that the law changed how God judged righteousness forever. Faith is still what counted, even in the times of the law. St. Paul tells us that the law and prophets themselves confirm this. He says that with the revelation of Jesus Christ, now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. He says it's right there in the law and prophets. And why did Paul spend so much time talking about righteousness apart from the law? Because the law was never meant to be permanent. That's what he says. That's his big argument. And in fact, in his time, he says it was already passing away. In Hebrews 8, 13, he says, He, God, has made the first covenant obsolete. And what is obsolete is aging and is currently passing away. The law and the prophets all testified that a new covenant would come. Jeremiah says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. He's talking about the law of Moses. He's talking about the covenant of Sinai, the covenant, the agreement, which is obey the law of Moses or die. That's the law. And that's like a lot like our laws, right? Obey the law or get arrested, etc. Obey or else, right? But Jesus cut a new and better covenant on better promises, is what the Bible says. It's not obey or else. It's not obey or die. It's believe and live. Amen? Amen. So that's all well and good. But isn't the law of Moses still the rule book for Christian life? No, it's not. And this was a tough one for me. This is something I had to research a lot because I came out of Judaism wanting to be a Christian. I had to answer this question for myself. But it's not the rule book. Not any more than coloring between the lines with crayons is the rule book that will make you a painter like Michelangelo, you know, or or Rembrandt. And an even more direct analogy is that Christians have no more obligation to obey the law of Moses than Americans do to obey the Articles of Confederation. You know what I'm talking about? The Constitution before the Constitution. It's no longer in effect in our nation. And this can be a very confusing subject for many because Jesus says in our reading, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, right? 
And yet St. Paul flatly contradicts him later in the book of Ephesians saying that Jesus has abolished the law in his flesh with its rules and regulations. This is why people say the Bible contradicts itself. You know what I'm saying? Okay, it's confusing, but timing matters. Timing matters. The Bible is clear. In Luke 16, 16, Jesus says the law and the prophets were until John the Baptist. Since then, the kingdom of God is preached and every man is pressing into it. But John, isn't the next line, but it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for a single line of the law to be done away with, right? He says that right after that. Yes. And he directs these words at the Pharisees, who he's always angry at, right? He accuses them of loving money more than the law. So follow me for a minute here as we decode this. These are the same Pharisees that he pronounces the seven woes of judgment against. Remember this? Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. He says, upon you, upon you, will come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all these things will come upon this generation. Did you catch that? Jesus says all the blood would come upon them, upon their generation. And after Jesus says all this, he points to the temple and says, as for what you see here, this will all come down and not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And they ask him, teacher, when will these things happen? What will be the sign that they're about to take place? And Jesus gives a really long answer and it's called the Olivet Discourse for short. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record it with slight variations, but his closing words are recorded by all three of these guys the exact same way. He says, this generation shall not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Do you follow that? Do you see what he just said? He couldn't have made it any more clear. He was saying that he's going to rain down judgment on this generation, on his generation, those people. And when he does, heaven and earth will pass away. It's right there in plain sight. St. Paul describes the passing away of heaven and earth too in the book of Hebrews. And he, and he speaks about it in terms of shaking, shaking. He sets it up by saying that in the days of Moses, the children of Israel came to Mount Sinai to a commandment of obey or else, right? Obey or die, but in the days of Jesus, children of God have come to Mount Zion, to a new covenant of believe and live. And it's with these two covenants in mind that he says these weird words. He says, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if the people did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but heaven as well. The words once more signify the removal of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that the unshakable may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving an unshakable kingdom, let us be filled with gratitude and worship God. So if you ever hung out with a rabbi, you've heard them 
talk like this. It's very complicated. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. This is what Paul's doing. He's talking about heaven and earth passing away, but he's, he's saying that means the removal, the removal of earthly, shakable, created things. And he's talking about the law. The law. But he's talking about how it's being replaced with the establishment of a heavenly and unshakable eternal thing, the kingdom of God. So you see, just like Jesus, he contrasts the law with the kingdom. And Paul is saying in his time that now heaven and earth are being shaken in this way. They're passing away. How did this shaking occur? How did this shaking occur? What happened? It happened just like Jesus said it would happen. Just like he said it would happen in the Olivet Discourse. That the temple came tumbling down. It happened in the year 70, right? When I was growing up, we call that Tisha B'Av. Ninth of Av is, is the date when that happened. A war broke out and the Romans circled the city of Jerusalem, just like Jesus said, when you see Jerusalem circled by enemies, no time's coming. And they burned it down. It was a horrible Holocaust, horrible. Christians escaped. They were forewarned, right, by the Spirit. But many of those who despised Christ and the Christians, they were killed. And just like Jesus said, the blood of the martyrs came upon their generation and especially upon the priesthood of the temple. When the temple came down, the priesthood was destroyed along with it. And it hasn't come back since. So what does Hebrews say about that? Hebrews says, when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. This is why we no longer follow Levitical laws, because there's no priesthood administering it. Just like the government constituted by the Articles of Confederation doesn't exist anymore to administer, administer the laws of America, we have a new government, right, based on the Constitution administering its laws. Similarly, since the first century, we have a new priesthood, the priesthood of Jesus, after the order of Melchizedek, right, based on a new covenant, administering a new law, we no longer obey or die. You know, we believe and live. That's the law of Christ. So it's a deep dive of history and it's a deep biblical dive. But at the end of the day, what does that mean? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for you and me? It means that when you fall in love with Jesus, you give your life to him. All that he asks of you is your faith, right? And when he says that your righteousness must ex exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, He's speaking of righteousness through faith, apart from the law. After all, he came to fulfill the law because no one else could. No one else can. He didn't bring us to Mount Sinai, commanding us obey or die. He brought us to Mount Zion, proclaiming believe and live. That's the gospel. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elementary principles of this creation, rather than on Christ. Paul is talking about the law there, right? And he's also talking about anything else like it in the world that we could possibly create, right? Don't let anyone take you captive to the traditions and teachings of a shakable thing, of a shakable creation, but remain in the unshakable kingdom of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 goes so far as to say that the letter of the law kills, but the spirit brings life, brings life. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, right? So what are the rules? What are the rules then? James says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law of liberty. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been mercy, but mercy always triumphs over judgment. 
Peter says, live in freedom, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Treat everyone with high regard, right? We are no longer captive to obey or die. We live not by works of law, we live by the fruits of spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these, there is no law. Familiar words? It's so simple. We don't live by the rules. That's not how we live. Rules don't bring us closer to the Lord. Not even the old commandment of, of Moses himself. Moses is not the Lord, right? He's but a servant in the household of God, we're told. But we believe and live. Instead, we live by the new commandment of Jesus the Lord, who is heir over the house of God. His commandment is love one another. Love one another like I loved you. So simple. And we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Amen? Amen. If we believe and live. Amen. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. Thank you for listening to the Sean McMahon Podcast. Visit SeanSellickMcMahon.com for more information about his ministry. For more about Sean's music, please visit WorkmanSong.com.